Good morning. It's great to be here. Oh, good. That was a, that was a good morning back. Um, I think you guys feel sorry for me, which I appreciate. I appreciate that this morning. Uh, today, we are going to be returning to 1 Corinthians to continue our journey through that book. We had been in 1 Corinthians, and then we, we took a break, and now we're back, and we're going to move through it some more. Um, we will be doing this probably uh, right up until about the beginning of summer. Uh, this letter was written by Paul to a church located in a cosmopolitan pagan city and it is focused on addressing several pressing issues within that church. Prior to today's verses, the church had been dealing with division, sexual immorality, lawsuits, and marriage. These are all things that have been addressed. In today's verses, Paul deals with eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. As has been the case previously in 1 Corinthians, the issue Paul is addressing in the, first, in the Corinthian context is not something we necessarily deal with today. I can't remember the last time somebody offered for me to come and enjoy a pagan sacrifice with them. It's, it's been a while. Um, I will say that uh, in Corinth, they were, probably, they were probably sacrificing goats. If you've never had goats, you're really missing out. Goat is really an excellent food. And hopefully someday we'll be able to take a trip to Haiti together and you'll be able to have some nice fried goat with me. It's one of the things I miss about being there. Well, we don't deal with the same stuff as the Christians Paul is writing to. The gospel principles he lays down still apply to us. So if you were to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Those verses can also be read on the screen behind me. They can be found in your pew Bible on page 899. We will read from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I'm going to keep this over here. Yeah, so this water bottle sounds like a dolphin when I drink out of it. So I probably should have selected a different water bottle this morning, but... So you got to... Hey, we're all doing our best today. We're all doing our best, all right? The decisions we make in our daily life reflect 
our convictions about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see this again and again in, in Corinthians. They think the things they choose are allowed, innocuous, or even encouraged. They are consistently mistaken. For Paul, the behaviors addressed throughout 1 Corinthians indicate a flawed understanding of the truth he must address. The Corinthians' supposed knowledge is negatively impacting their church community. The knowledge modern Christians celebrate may be different from the Corinthians, from what the Corinthians thought they knew. It nonetheless damages the church at times. Christian knowledge must operate in service of the love of God. In these verses, Paul takes the Corinthians to task for the way they are thinking and living in an area that has not been addressed previously. There's a group of people in the Corinthian church that claim to possess special knowledge, special knowledge. They think of themselves as enlightened. What they think they know is not a problem. They believe it is okay to eat food that has been offered to idols. Their logic is that idols are not real. Food offered to idols is just as tasty and nutritious as any other food. The fact that it has been offered to idols is irrelevant. There is no reason not to enjoy it. Their logic is ironclad. The food that is being referred to here is meat. In Corinth, when an animal sacrifice was made in a pagan temple, the person who made the sacrifice, they would have a party. The priest would get their portion of the sacrifice meat. The rest was eaten by friends and family. They had no refrigeration. Even salt was a valuable resource. So they ate everything they could before it went bad. And meat was not a regular part of people's diet outside of these sacrificial meals. It was a really big deal. It was an expensive thing to eat meat. And so they wanted to be able to go to these meat-eating parties. Nobody can blame them for that. These Corinthians, they saw no reason not to eat meat. Their knowledge just so happened to line up with what they wanted to do anyway. Isn't it amazing how often that is the case? I don't know about you, but I am great at making the argument that my desires, what I want to do, are reasonable. What I want to do is what makes the most sense. It is everybody else's desires that are totally ridiculous. The pattern of thinking, behavior, and desire exhibit, exhibited in these verses is just as common today as it was 2,000 years ago. 
Most people view themselves as logical creatures. We think that when we are faced with the dilemma, we rationally evaluate the best course of action before making a reasonable decision. That decision then results in an emotional response. The truth is, that is not actually how most people live their lives. People, Christians included, are often driven by their desires to act. Once a course of action has been charted by desire, logic is then used to validate that course of action as the most reasonable. The world is filled with examples, great and small, of how desire uses knowledge to validate behavior. For instance, I know, I know I should drink more water than I do. But pretty much every day, I manage to convince myself that drinking more coffee or Coke is a better decision than drinking water. Now, my reasons vary. Sometimes I tell myself, man, I'm tired. I'm just tired. I just need the caffeine. Other times, the argument I make to myself is that I deserve the drink I favor because I had to do something I didn't want to do. The truth is just I want to drink Coke and coffee. Most every immoral act committed in our world is done for some reason the perpetrator of the act felt was a good reason. Those that cheat on their taxes or are lazy at their jobs find a way to justify themselves. Even Vladimir Putin has logical reasons for why he was right to invade Ukraine. Knowledge, logic, reason, is frequently used to serve desire. Sinful desires utilize knowledge to accomplish their purposes. When sin uses knowledge, the result is self-deception. Instead of enlightening, knowledge is used to obstruct and obscure what is actually happening. Proverbs 14.8 says, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. The difference between a liar and a fool is that fools believe the lies they tell themselves. I think our world has a lot more fools in it than it does liars. Not a week goes by that I don't have to hear about someone basing their life on a lie. Often these lies are difficult, if not impossible, to disprove. One of the pitfalls of the internet is that those who are lying to themselves can always find a group of people that believe the same lie. I'm not sure if people believe lies more than they used to because of the internet or if the internet just makes them more open about the lies they believe. 
The failure of knowledge alone to result in good outcomes is a bitter pill that our world is having a hard time swallowing. We know more now than in any prior time in history. And it's not particularly close. Much of this information is scientific, although our knowledge of history, art, and every other intellectual pursuit is at an all-time high as well. In the past 500 years, human knowledge has grown exponentially. Many hope that, that with this increased knowledge, a perfect society would be possible. Many still have this hope. I just listened to an interview with Elon Musk where he talked about an impending age of abundance that was going to be brought about by technical knowledge. Knowledge alone is not the solution. As important as knowledge is, what that knowledge is being used in the service of matters more. The Corinthians are using their knowledge poorly. They're using it to satisfy their own desires. In the second part of verse 1, Paul contrasts knowledge, which puffs up, with love that builds up. Paul is saying the Corinthians who highlight their knowledge are puffed up. They have big heads. This is a strange idiom we use in English. You might say the best salesman at work or a star athlete at school has a big head. It means the person is cocky and arrogant. According to Collins' dictionary, the phrase first began showing up in written records around 1740. It is unclear who started saying it or why, because nobody's head actually expands, however smart they think they are. The puffing up Paul highlights is not the, about the size of a person's head, but about their posture. When I was young, I remember guys that would try to make themselves seem larger. Do you guys remember these guys that walk around like this? You still see them trying to why? Why are they walking around like this? Because they're trying to make themselves seem larger, seem more intimidating. And this is exactly what some of the Corinthians are doing. They're puffing themselves up intellectually instead of physically. They are doing so because they are bullies. Their intellectual posturing is an attempt to bring about their own desire through dominance. Paul, scripture, is dismissive of these people's vain knowledge. Paul writes, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Marinate in that for a second. If anyone imagines that he knows something, 
he does not yet know as he ought to know. This is a nice way of saying to the people that he is targeting that they think they are so clever. They are actually exhibiting profound ignorance. They use their knowledge like a cudgel to get their own way. Being puffed up is actually a sign a person doesn't get it when it comes to knowledge of God. Pride is consistently associated with foolishness throughout the Bible. This is just as true of intellectual pride. A good policy for Christians when it comes to learning about Christianity is don't listen to puffed up, arrogant people. You will find that the pastors, they're always telling everyone how wonderful they are, are the most likely to experience some sort of failure in their ministry. Some of the most unbearable Christians I've ever interacted with are those that claim to have the most knowledge of theology. They may be orthodox in their beliefs, but they are unbearable interpersonally. Whereas knowledge puffs up, love builds up. The dichotomy Paul has identified in these verses is not an absolute either or. He is not saying we should only love and not think. He's saying love should be the primary way Christians interact with the world. Love cannot be used for good or ill in the same way knowledge can. Love, and we're using the biblical definition of love here, true biblical love as a pure good which must come first. It is a commitment that springs from God's own heart. These verses, if you read them, they feel a bit non sequitur. It seems like Paul is jumping around. Verse 1 contrasts knowledge and love. Verse 2 points out knowledge is insufficient. Verse 3 adds, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. The relationship to the surrounding verses is not obvious. Love of God precedes being known by God. Don't skip over this verse. This is what connects it all together. Loving God and being known by him is the purpose of all human life. It is what we were made for. Humanity was made for an eternal relationship with the living God. How amazing, how wonderful, how awe-inspiring is this? Meat. These Corinthians that are so puffed up about their knowledge are focused on meat. Are you kidding me? They're so focused on what they think they know and what it allows them to do that they are missing out on God. 
Talk about missing the forest for the trees. They're missing out on God because they really like steak. Paul is pushing back, not just on their focus, but on what they even know. Notice he doesn't say those that love God know God. He says those that love God are known by God. Our knowledge of God, his majesty and awesomeness is so minimal. Love of God leads to an awareness of what the believer doesn't know. It leads to a humbleness. The Corinthians are taking a fact they can actually wrap their minds around that idols are not real and pridefully basing their lifestyles on it. In doing so, they are ignoring a much larger truth they cannot even begin to ascertain. They are ignoring God in his mysterious glory in favor of the pleasures of this life they can comprehend. Loving God will lead to concrete action in the world. For Paul, love is not describing an ambiguous feeling that gives Christians the warm fuzzies. He writes, Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The grand truth of God is connected to our daily lives. All things are from God. You exist for God. Every aspect of our existence is connected to the one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him. You are through him. We love God by loving that which exists through him. That especially means people. People are God's highest creative act. We are his image bearers. There is no such thing as a maturing Christian whose love for people is not increasing. God and Jesus care about people a lot. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When Jesus was talking to Peter prior to his ascension, he made clear how Peter was supposed to live out the love he professed. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Every time Peter answered yes, Jesus responded by saying, then feed my sheep. Loving God leading to an ambition to love people is Christianity 101. Any who don't prioritize it 
need remedial instruction. Remedial instruction in Christianity is just what Paul is delivering to these Corinthians who think they are so knowledgeable, so spiritually advanced. Christians are called to love others in the same way God loves us by building them up. This is not a one-time act, it is an ongoing project. Building requires intention. You must know the raw materials you have to work with. You must have some idea of what the end product of your efforts will be. Patience is needed as well. Every construction project ever undertaken has included setbacks. Building people up will include setbacks. Loving others is a means by which we reach our own potential in Christ. I'll say it before and I'll say it again. Christianity is not an individual pursuit. We develop through community. If you aren't developing loving relationships with fellow Christians, your faith will be stagnant at best. You just can't love other people in isolation. This means you can't love God as he intends in isolation. The Corinthian church had knowledgeable people. The Corinthian church was a relational mess that did not glorify God. Knowledge alone doesn't always lead to good outcomes. It depends on what that knowledge is being used in service of. God has made humans quite smart. Unfortunately, we often use our intelligence to further our own sinful desires. Christians are supposed to be different. Our knowledge, our logic is supposed to be secondary. Love is primary. When we love God, we will be known by God. Love of God is shown in our world by loving people created in God's image. Christian knowledge differs from worldly knowledge in its intent, not in its substance. Christians use what they know to lovingly build up the people God has put them in relationship with. Most especially their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for the love I consistently experience in my life from fellow believers, for the care that this congregation shows to me and to my family, Lord. Recognizing that we are all imperfect in our ability to love one another, that it's a lot easier to be smart, it's a lot easier to know things than it is to love people. And Lord, I pray that 
through our love for you, the love that you have graced us with, the love that you have made possible for us, that we would know what it means both to be in relationship with you and with each other, Lord. This is the central challenge in some ways of the human experience, Lord. I pray that you would be with us in this pursuit. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.